0: What kind of behavior makes you pleasing to God? You might like to think about that. What kind of behavior makes you pleasing to God? How should you behave if you want to be pleasing to God? And it's been kind of pertinent for me recently when I have been eating too much cheese. Or, uh, you know, just thinking, I'm not sure about this, God. How do you feel about me right now? You know, I I really didn't mean to do that, but, you know, I thought I'd left more, but it's all gone and... (laughs) What kind of behavior makes you pleasing to God? And and that's the question. That's the question. So let me just read to you the first part of the story. So Jesus continued, there was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth, How many of my father's hired men have food to spare? And here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. So he got up and went to his father. So you've got this younger son. And he turned his back completely on his father and on the way of life that he'd been brought up in. He was deceived. Um, We've all been there. He was deceived into thinking that things like relationships, sex, money would actually give meaning to his life. Uh, But of course, they didn't. Uh, I don't know where you are on all that. That's another thing I've been struggling with recently, you know, money. The whole thing about money being meaningful, um, and because we know it isn't, don't we? We know money doesn't make us happy. But then, when we look at our behaviour, you think, "Well, hang on, how are we behaving?" Uh, interesting um, thing that Paul said: "For me to live is Christ; to die is gain." But nothing else works in that particular formula. For me to live is money; to die is loss. For me to live is my career; to die. Is loss. And that's the truth. The only thing that works there is for me to live as Christ, to die as gain. But I've been struggling with the same kind of things, um, as this younger son. Um, in half my time, I run a business. And recently, the Lord has said, um, you've got to come out of the business, want all your time in freedom in Christ. Okay. I mean, I like freedom in Christ. It's lovely. See, life's changed. But there's, there's kind of a death of, um, of a dream, the business has never done well, it's pretty much always lost money, but there's always that hope, okay? <laughs> it's like, at the back of my mind, there is, yes, but, it could just turn around, um, and uh, and the Lord has kind of said to me, "Would well, you want to close the business, or do you want it to continue, and I said, I'd like it to continue, he said, okay, but you're coming out of it, okay, God, so, yeah, hand it over to me, so in effect, the Lord is saying to me, are you willing to hand over all your shares in the business to me and let it go? And I know what's going to happen when I do that, okay? I know what's going to happen. It's suddenly going to make lots of money. And it's just because that's the way it works. And it's like, and there's something in me that's, that's going, well, now I know that money isn't, isn't really the thing that's going to make me happy. But, but there again, maybe I should make some provision. And the all saying no. Trust me. So I'm, I'm kind of, as I'm preparing this for you tonight, am I really identifying with this guy uh, who's gone off and who's been deceived? I don't know about you, but I really am. I'm identifying with him. But what Jesus is doing here, really, is he's painting a picture for the people who are listening. And he's painting a picture of somebody who has behaved in the worst imaginable way for people in that culture. He showed no respect for his father and his family. Cardinal sin in that culture. He went and he engaged in adultery, spent money on prostitutes. And then, when he had no money, he even stooped so low as to look after the the animal that for the Jews symbolized uncleanness, pigs. That's what he was doing. Lowest of the low. He even wanted to eat the food that these unclean animals were being fed. So he knew that he'd blown it completely. This was a picture of somebody who had gone so far away from his father. So far away from everything that he'd been brought up to do. And he knew it. You know, Jesus said he knew he had completely blown it. And so he came to his senses. He suddenly thought, well, I'm going to go back home. I'm going to throw myself on my father's mercy. There's no way he's going to take me back as his son, but at least he might give me a position as a hired hand. At least I'd earn some money. At least I'd be back with my own people. So there we are. And then Jesus continues. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He'd been looking out for him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him, And kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Was that true, by the way, that statement? I'm no longer worthy to be called your son? Yeah, I think so. Absolutely true. I think that's the key phrase, actually, that this guy says. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Interesting. The son is expecting to be disowned, or maybe at best, severely punished and grudgingly accepted back. But the father has been looking out for him every day, obviously. He sees him coming. And he immediately embraces this smelly, dirty, wayward son who's thrown everything back in his face. He kills the fatted calf, the calf that's uh, held back for special occasions. He puts the best robe on him. He gets an expensive ring and gives it to him. More money that he could go and blow. He risks it. What's the worst thing you've ever done? You can form a queue if you like and come and share. Okay. Just think, what, what is the worst thing you've ever done? Maybe even recently. What have you done recently that you would put down as pretty bad behavior? Where well, you've let yourself down, let God down. Did you hear, by the way, about the um, inflatable boy? You know, I have to tell you one more joke, okay, for Vickers. Vickers likes my jokes. There's an inflatable boy, and uh, he went to an inflatable school. Uh, but one day... He went to the school with a pin in his pocket. Uh, the inflatable boy is an inflatable school. And the inflatable headmaster called him into his study and he said, Inflatable boy, you've not only let the school down, you've not only let me down, you've let yourself down. Did you get that one? <laughs> no, you think you did. I was wondering whether you might need translation for that. No, it's okay. Um... What's the worst thing you've ever done? If you decided this evening to go and do that worst thing again, if you went out of here and did it again, and then you came back to God and said, God, here I am, I'm sorry, what would happen? What reception would you get? You'd get the reception that this guy got from his father. That's the point of the story. That's what Jesus is saying. Now, you say to me, well, are you saying, Steve, that you know, his behavior didn't matter? He could just go and sin and sin and sin and sin, and it doesn't matter. No. His behavior had consequences. Uh, for his own life, for a start, really screwed it up, didn't it? Its behavior had consequences. But, one of those consequences was not the ending of the relationship he had with his father. He would always be his father's son. He would always have that relationship. And for us, we are, if we're Christians, if we're Christians, we are children of God. And that is not going to change. So there's nothing that you can do that could make God love you any less than he does now. And nothing, which we'll come to in a minute, that you could do really that could make God love you more, either. He just loves you. Even when you fall flat on your face... And make a complete mess. He loves you. And God gives you the freedom to fail. Just like the father, I think, you know, handing the son an expensive gold ring. It's like having a drug addict back, isn't it? Who's robbed you. And saying, okay, here you go. Let's see what happens. There's a trust there. There's a trust. God gives you freedom to fail. He doesn't want you to fail. But he's giving you the freedom to make bad choices. If you do fail, if you fall flat on your face... He's just there, waiting, looking for you to come back. Permission to smile at that point. Do you think that's good? Isn't that amazing? Can you get your mind around that? That's where it's at. Can you really get your mind around that? Not just theologically, but that is how your Father God comes to you. There he is. Accepting, loving. It's what the Bible calls grace. No wonder John Newton... That phrase, "Amazing Grace," it is amazing. It's kind of beyond what we can get our mind around. And when I've eaten all that cheese, you know, last night it was cheese last night. I'm sitting, there thinking, "Ah, oh, why did I do that, Lord? I kind of blown that." I mean, that might seem a trivial thing to you, but it's kind of a big deal for me because that's kind of my vulnerability. I'm thinking, "Well, why did I do that, Lord? What have I done?" And it's God says, "Well, you know, let me pick you up and dust you down." had consequences but you need to kick the enemy out You need to get up get back on your bike and start pedaling again sin does matter but it doesn't affect our relationship with God on that deep level but the guy I want to get to is the one who is often ignored in this story the older brother because actually if you think about it that's the point of the story Um, let me read it meanwhile the older son so his father went out and pleaded with him but he answered his father look all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends but when this son of yours who has squandered your property with prostitutes come home you kill the fattened calf for him That's kind of the reaction that uh, the first son was expecting from the father, wasn't it? My son, the father said, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. I think that's a key phrase. Everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. This older brother, really, if you think about it, is the person that Jesus is addressing in this story. He represents, quite clearly, the religious people. If you go back to the beginning of the chapter, who were saying he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. His behavior is bad. This is the guy uh, who represents those people. And... He had not thrown everything back in his father's face. He'd stayed at home and he'd worked hard. He'd always towed the line and he had always done what he thought God expected him to do or the father expected him to do. And this guy was completely unable to get his head round the concept of grace. To him, you earn the favour of the father by how you behave very clearly so when the brother returns and has behaved badly and has a party thrown for him it doesn't compute he cannot get his mind round that so he becomes almost incandescent with rage and he, you know he's, he's spluttering isn't he it's but but all these years i've done everything right i've played by the rules and you never threw a party for me it's so unfair and this is the key point I think that this guy did not understand that the father's love and acceptance was as little to do with his good behaviour as it was with the other brother's bad behaviour the whole point of this story is Jesus saying being pleasing to God has nothing to do with with your behavior. Do you see that? One behaved as he was expected to, one behaved very badly, both of them were accepted by God. This elder brother, you get the feeling, he had an eye on his inheritance, just as much as the younger brother one did. The younger brother one was too greedy, couldn't wait, grabbed it, took the check and ran. But the older brother is biding his time, but he's just as much got his eye on the money that is coming to him. And he's kind of got the feeling that, well, I'm going to work, and I'm going to do what I have to do, and I'm not enjoying it very much, but I'm going to live by the rules, and one day, all this will be mine. That's where he's heading. And the father says, hey, hang on a minute. Haven't you realized everything I have is yours already? Everything I have is yours. Get your mind around that. Now, when I first became a Christian... Um, I was given the the gospel story, and I was basically told that I was a sinner, which I was, and I needed to come to Jesus to receive forgiveness, which I did, and then I would be free and joyful and happy. It didn't always quite work out like that, but I came, uh, and I was free. Jesus made me free. But in the particular culture that I was brought up in, it then very quickly changed, and it all became oriented towards my behavior, subtly, subtly. Well, you really need to read your Bible every day. Hmm. You need to come to the midweek fellowship meeting. And you need to do this, and you need to behave like that, and Christians don't do that, and so on and so forth. And there will be some truth in that and some value in that. But what happened in my case was I would get completely weighed down. Uh, and I would be trying to live like a Christian, or how I thought a Christian should be. I'm trying to tick the right boxes. I'm trying to have a quiet time every day. And one of my friends would very helpfully say to me, uh, when, I, you know, when, I, when I got to school, I was about 16 at the time, he'd say, how was your QT today, your quiet time? And, uh, you know, I'd want to say, eh, quiet. But he was, <laughs> you know, so, yeah, yeah, fine, fine, fine. And he'd even, he would write out Bible verses on playing cards. I don't know why playing cards, but he would. And he'd give them to me and say, have you learnt it yet? No, I'm, I'm, I'm trying. It was good stuff. I'm not knocking him. It was it, That was done from a, a heart of real zeal. It really was. But for me, I started to get the impression that being a Christian was about doing the right things. And maybe hanging on. And one day I'd get my inheritance in heaven. But all that... I think in this parable is being stood on its head it's not to do with our behavior the father is saying look everything I have is yours I don't know whether I guess most of you have done the freedom of Christ course from what I can tell I do hope uh, that it's it's helped you in ways that it helped me in understanding who you already are and what you already have and living uh, from that 2 Peter one three I think, is one of my favorite verses. It says, we already have everything we need to live a godly life. It's like, God, I need more. I need more to be able to do this. And God says, no, everything I have is yours. You already have it. You are already a child of God. You are already acceptable to me. You do not have to earn my approval anymore. Those of you who had fathers whose approval you felt you had to earn... And that's most of us, actually, because that's the culture we kind of live in. God isn't like that. You don't anymore have to earn God's approval. If you are a Christian, you just have it. Everything I have is yours. You have it. And what you come back to, pleasing God is nothing to do with bad behavior or good behavior. What you come back to is a relationship that you can't define You can't say it's A, B, C and D. It's a relationship. And the whole of this story turns on the character of the father. It's all to do with the character of the father, who, of course, is God. And this God, who we somehow expect to be a kind of tough army sergeant major figure, looking for us to put a foot wrong, turns out not to be like that at all. He's not looking at our lives and saying, you put a foot wrong there. He's actually looking at our lives and saying, look at who you are. Look at what I've done for you. Look how delightful you are. You know, you used to be completely abominable to me. I couldn't even look at you because of sin, but look what's happened now. Deep down inside, you've become very, very nice. You've become completely and utterly lovable and acceptable to me. Let's start from that basis, and this is what God is saying. And he, it turns out, is yearning just to have a relationship with us. Or we just turn up and say, Oh, Father, I just thank you that, yeah, you've made me like that. And it's all about you. And, and I want to live for you. And I want to do all the right things. But not because I feel I have to or because I'm trying to earn something. I just want to do them because I love you. Just think about the first son uh, for a minute. The one who blew it all. Can you imagine what it would be like to be him now, he's come back, he's been amazingly reinstated by his father, which he genuinely wasn't expecting, and he absolutely didn't deserve. What would the rest of his life be like? Well, I don't know. I mean, it depends. But I would think, if that were me, if I would, I would suddenly realise what an idiot I've been. And I would realize what an amazing thing it was to have a father who was prepared to have me back and give me all the stuff, and I would want to just show my gratitude. And I would want to go out and work for him. I'd want to do all that stuff that is the right stuff to do. I would want to behave well, but wouldn't that be a lovely, secure place to be when you weren't doing it to earn his approval or to keep out of his bad books? You were doing it simply because you wanted to show him that you loved him. Wouldn't that be a good place to be? Wouldn't there be a kind of ease about that? Isn't that something to do with Jesus saying, you know, come to me if if you're carrying burdens and take my yoke upon you? Because it's a yoke, but it's easy. There's an ease to that. And all too often the enemy twists the truth and we become like one or the other. You know, we fall for the lie and we go off into sin and then we somehow feel that God will not accept us back. But the truth is, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Or, we become like the elder brother, and we get into the self-righteousness thing. Oh yeah, I'm doing okay as a Christian because I've had 14 quiet times today already, or whatever, that would be, that would be for me. I'm doing all, I, I've witnessed to three people today. I'm doing okay as a Christian. Oh, I'm, a, I'm a leader in the church, I've got a bit of status, I'm doing okay. No, there's nothing to do with that. Our acts of righteousness are like filthy rags before God. There's nothing we can do that is any good. It's not about behavior. Let me um, me round this off by talking about freedom and bondage, freedom and license. Galatians 5 verse 1 is the key verse on freedom. It's a, it's a funny verse, really. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. It's like that um, joke, which I'm, I don't know whether you have this in Afrikaans, I expect you do. Why did the chicken cross the road? To get to the other side. Okay, that was funny. It's like, but that's what that verse is like. It says, it's essentially Paul saying, um, why did Jesus give you freedom? So you would be free. That's really what it's saying. It is for freedom that Christ has set us free. But Paul just wants to emphasize to us that um, many of us just simply don't walk in that freedom, and it is possible to lose it. Stand firm then, and do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. What happened was that both brothers did things that they thought would bring them freedom. The first brother, he kind of wanted to throw off the constraints of the family. He wanted to throw off what he saw as the rules and regulations. And he wanted to go and live real freedom. He wanted the money. He wanted the girls. That was real freedom. And yet, was it? No. What happened was it turned into bondage. It had the promise of freedom, it looked like freedom, but it turned into bondage. Interesting, 1 Corinthians 6 verse 12, Paul quotes um, somebody with a little saying that was obviously going around, which is, everything is permissible for me. Because again, some of you are thinking, is that what you're saying Steve? Everything is permissible for me, it doesn't depend on my behaviour, can I just go and do anything? Well, on one level, yes, but on another level, why ever would you want to? What would the point of that be? Everything is permissible for me, but Paul says, yes, but not everything is beneficial. This is the key thing. Everything is permissible for me, but I will not be mastered by anything. You see, what happens is, if you take your freedom like the first son did and you use it to indulge in sin, which you are free to do because God gives you permission to fail, you are free to do it. If you do that, you'll suddenly find that you are no longer free. The sin will master you. It will turn you into a slave again, which is ridiculous because Jesus died to set you free. Jesus himself, in the classic passage in John 8, where he says you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free, he says this, I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. So, please don't hear me saying, yes, go and do whatever you want. You're free to, but if you do, you're just putting yourself back into slavery. You're putting yourself back into bondage. That is not real freedom. That's just license. But then the elder brother, he was going to the other extreme. He thought it was ticking the boxes, obeying the rules. He probably had a couple of books on his bookshelf. How to succeed as an elder brother. Um, How to do really well when you come into your father's inheritance. How to run a farm or whatever it was. Because he was a kind of how-to guy. And many of us are wired that way rather than just looking at ourselves and being content to be, which is how Jesus would have us, you know, just be, just realize you're a child of God, you're lovely, you're acceptable. Understand that. Rest in that for a minute. Be still and know that I'm God. I love you. I'm your father. I'm always going to be there for you that's kind of the, the being I'm I'm hopeless at that I'm definitely of the doing variety you know if and freedom of Christ if we held a conference uh, entitled something like come and find out who you are hardly anybody would turn up they turn up to the conferences which are all to do with how to how to be a successful Christian so we kind of have to put that in there and then tell them who they are Um because we, we want to do the how to we want to tick the boxes. and, and um, It's like, well, Steve, yeah, tell me what to do. And I'm saying, yeah, well, to be acceptable to God, well, actually, it's already happened. You know, you are acceptable to God. You became acceptable to him the minute you became a Christian. Yeah, but what shall I do? Well, well just be. And, and, and we struggle with that, and just like this elder brother. And most churches, actually, in truth, have been happy to come up with a list of things for you to do. Uh, and discipleship traditionally has been do this do that do the other but we have learned that we really need to help people connect with these truths of who they are in Christ what it means to be accepted really get firm in their minds that there is no condemnation from God there may be all sorts of condemning thoughts in here but none of them are from God he does not condemn you and on the basis of that When we have understood that, then we can get up, have a sense of call from God, and we can go and work and work and work for him, but out of a sense of love and relationship, not out of a sense of slavery, which is what the older son said. He said, I have been slaving away. So it is for freedom that Christ has set us free. And so we we need to keep ourselves away on the one hand from the license they're just thinking sin doesn't matter it does matter it gives the enemy a foothold it puts us back into bondage and on the other we need to keep away from the I've got to behave like this I've got to do that or God won't be pleased with me it's quite tricky actually isn't it to steer that middle line but we have to keep bringing ourselves back there 1 John 3 1 how great is the love the father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God And then he feels he has to emphasize it. And that is what we are. If you read any of Paul's letters, you'll get halfway through before he starts telling you how to behave. The first half of Paul's letters are always about what has been done, who you are. And when you've understood that, only then does he move on and say, Right, if you're married, this is how to behave. If you're a parent, this is how to behave. My my kids have got on to that second half. They, they keep telling me I'm not to exasperate them. It's become a little bit of a, a monotonous thing in our family. Dad, you're exasperating me. Okay, right. But only, only when we've got to the second half of Paul's letters do we get to that bit. I want to read you, I just want to read you a letter to finish. Somebody sent me, which I like. Uh, it's a lady, and she says, A year ago... I cried out to the Lord for a foundation to my life as I'd been a Christian for about five years but was feeling like a constant failure. That was when I first went through the Freedom in Christ course and discovered that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Well this summer I felt the Lord saying that he wanted me to accept his love. So I asked him how to do that and it seemed he just wanted me to believe and trust that he did really love me. So I did. The change is unbelievable. For the past 14 years I've had a spiritual oppression which has prevented me from doing many things. Talking to people, for example, I simply couldn't speak in many social situations. Now it is almost completely gone. I have the occasional wobble but on the whole I'm really enjoying talking to people. Where I used to be tormented by thoughts that I'd said the wrong thing or that people didn't like me. I'm now of the attitude that I don't really care what people think of me And the bizarre thing is that people seem to want to talk to me much more now. I feel I am free to be the person I was created to be. And it's okay to say or do the wrong thing from time to time. I don't look at other people and think I should be more like them. In fact, I think I should just become more like me. Hmm. I like that. I should become more like me. Each of us is a unique person. And there is nobody here that can't become 100% the person that God is calling us to be. Wherever we are right now, he's happy to say, come on in, dust us down, and say, right, let's start again. Let's just start completely again. You can become the person I want you to be. You already have everything you need. You're a child of mine. Everything I have is yours. Relax. Go and do it. So, what kind of behavior makes you pleasing to God? Just one, really. And it was, if you like, the behavior of Jesus when he died on the cross in your place. That's it. Full stop. Two things. Just, I'll leave with you and then we'll pray. Come back to him. Come back to him. Maybe you've been distant. Maybe you felt that You've been away so far that you couldn't come back, that he won't have you back. Well, I, I hope that you can see tonight that he's looking out for you and you're saying, Come on, come back, come back. And on the other hand, leave behind any kind of idea that your behavior or what you know or any position you might have somehow makes you acceptable. It doesn't. It's just service down in a relationship. Let's pray. Let's, um, let's keep our eyes closed but I'm going to ask you to respond to God just by putting your hand up if you want to just so you can do something positive. But if any of you are just thinking yeah I, just, I really want to come back and start again. Could you just put your hand up? Nobody, else, nobody look around, but you just put your hand up and I'll pray. And you can pray with me. Oh, Father, we thank you so much that you just love us. And you look at the stuff that we've been into. We look at the sin. We look at the distance we put between you and us. And we come back. We just return. We come to our senses. And we come and we throw ourselves on your mercy. But Lord, we thank you that we already know the end of the story. That you take us, you dust us down, you have already forgiven us. You clean us and you purify us. You put your best robe on us, your ring on our finger and you throw a party. Lord, we come back. We return to you, Lord, with all our heart. Lord, we we just put our confusion at your feet, the mess we've made, we put at your feet. But right now, Lord, we thank you so much that we can start again. And we just say, we give you our whole heart. We turn to you. Thank you, Lord. And anyone who just feels that you've been striving to act like a Christian, or how you feel a Christian should act, and it's just been a joyless thing, It's been a a kind of trying to obey rules and tick the boxes. If you just want to dump all that and change, maybe you'd just like to put your hand up and I'll pray about that. Father, we thank you so much that you are not the kind of God that wants us to obey a load of rules. You showed us in the Old Testament that that doesn't work and you sent Jesus to fulfill the law by fulfilling its demands in our place, in effect. And we come to you now to lay down once and for all the thoughts we have that we have somehow got to be approved by you. And we just rejoice in the truth that we are already approved. We thank you, Lord. We praise you, Lord, for that. All of the things that we feel we have to do, we recognize that we don't have to do them. But where they're good things, Lord, we will do them but out of a sense of love for you, not out of a sense of duty. Lord, we pray you will break the bondage of legalism in us, right now, in the name of Jesus. Amen. I've really enjoyed being with you, it's been great. By the way, did did we mention we have an office in South Africa? Was that obvious to you? It's somewhere near Durban, Richards Bay jonathan said it was there's a great guy there so if you go back he is just starting um freedom in christ he's a methodist minister and he's looking for ways to come out and do it and he's getting invitations from all over the country he would be really encouraged if any of you were to get in touch with him best thing is just to hit a website hit a freedom in christ uk website whatever you'll find your way there uh but uh, pray for jonathan uh, he was really encouraged uh when he, when he found out about you here in london so uh, anyway i won't take up any more time I'll